Hello and welcome to this week's Community Power Podcast, a series being brought to you in partnership with Local Trust. My name's Chris Allen, and in this series we're showcasing some incredible projects, focusing in particular on what happens when you give local people the resources, the power and the assets to make a difference to their neighbourhoods. With me as ever is series producer Beth Lazenby, a rather creative project for us this week, Beth. Yeah, a really exciting project this week, Chris, which has helped lots of local people to become published authors around the Furs and Bromford area. So we're going to be chatting to um, John, who is one of those authors and a partnership member, and also uh, Phil, who is the leader of the writing club, about how they've gone about setting this up. Indeed. And first of all, I asked Phil to tell us about the Furs and Bromford big local area. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful place, Chris. Uh, lots of, so diverse, it's unbelievable. And we all rub along really nicely, and it's great. Uh, everybody's got their own little ideas, little things they want to do. And uh, the nice thing about the partnership uh, that the Furs and Bromford neighbours together is that, that it gives everybody that opportunity to do that. Uh, the hub here is a really good place to start. And from here, it sort of radiates out all around the area. And we're hoping to extend that now up onto the Furs estate and create another sort of a hub up there. Um, but there's that much talent on this estate, on the two estates, that like, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, we, we could talk for four or five hours on all the different things that are going on. <laughs> yeah. And people doing their own little thing, but we're all starting to come together now. And that's the important thing. That's the thing about creating the community, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love the way that you talk about everything positively. You know, let's not deny the fact that we're in an area of disadvantage within Birmingham, but every word you said there was positive. I know the whole approach of the programme has been around asset-based community development, looking at what's good and how you build on it, not what's wrong and how do you fix it. Yeah, no, you're quite right. I mean, there's no, I don't believe in negativity. I think all that does is, is makes you feel ill, rubs you up the wrong way and gives everybody the wrong impression. And yes, in the past we've had issues and problems but we sort it out Bromford and Furs style, that's the way I say. And uh, we've got a good working relationship with a lot of the services around. They try the best, bless them, but who knows a community better than the people that live in that community? That's, it's not the buildings and it's not the spaces, it's the people that make a community, isn't it? And uh, they have their own laws and their own rules and regulations and Everybody, everybody sort of adheres to it. They enjoy the self. They, they have a good time. And if they have any problems, the nice thing is they know where to come if they're having issues. And that's what it's all about. That's what community's about. It's a, it's a big family, isn't it? And one of your great ideas was this creative writing group. Where did that come from? Well, well, that started years ago. It's been a, I've had a bee in my bonnet about it for a very long time. But, that the publishing world is so up your nose, really, if that's the word, if that, I can use that as a word. It's a, and a, El- elitist, is that elitist, what you're yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's a good word, elitist. Yeah, I should have thought about that first, really, shouldn't <laughs> I? But, that, but no, it is very elitist, and or it seems to come across that way. And uh, I think that everybody has got a book in them. Uh, that, that old saying about everybody's got a novel in them, I think he's quite right. Um, some are good, some good novels, and some are not quite so good, but why shouldn't they have as much chance as everybody else, you know? We don't expect everybody to be J.K. Rowling, or, um, you know, who was the fellow that lived up the road, 
that wrote Lord of the Rings. Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah. There you go. We're, we're not looking for those. We're looking for people who have a passion mm. and they, they've got a story to tell. And whether it be poetry or whether it be uh, in our group, for example, we've got a children's writer, we've got a social history writer, poems, um, you name it, they can do it. Uh, the, the one big issue has always been that the publishing world can be very, very elitist. And I know through what's happened to me in the past, there's nothing worse than getting a rejection letter, right? Nobody likes to not be liked, do they? We all want to be liked. And to, to put your heart and soul into something and then have some guy who doesn't even know you, who's never met you, all of a sudden he decides on whether your book's good or not. The people that decide whether your books are good or not are the people that buy it and the people that read it. And But you need to give people the opportunity to do that. And how can we do that? How can we, not, how can we get across these barriers if there are people out there who seem to think, no, it's not worth it? So John, what Phil's saying there, you have to be pretty brave to give this a go, don't you? Uh, I wouldn't call it brave. You, you've got to be a little bit on the you want to do it side you know um when i first met phil i wasn't really sure that i wanted to actually come to the first meeting i didn't know what it was all about but when i met phil and he started explaining what was his his hope for the writing group was going to be in the near future i sort of got interested in what he was doing and what he said made a lot of sense myself i've been writing since in the early 60s and I've had rejection letters as well and believe you me there's nothing worse than like he said than a rejection letter you feel like as I was in my time with a typewriter picking it up and putting it somewhere and forgetting about it right but over the years when I've started writing fairy stories for my, for my daughter and that grew in its, on its own right. Is that where you started you were thinking of your daughter and fairy stories that's where you got the appetite to write? Yes um, I, I started writing fairy stories for my daughter based on one little fella. His name was Binky, he was a little gnome. And he lived in the world at the bottom of your garden. And I convinced my daughter that, that was true right. because at the bottom of our garden I had a great big rhubarb bush. Yeah. And every, when I took this, uh, brought her home from nursery, or my wife brought her home from nursery, we always told her if she'd been a good girl, she'd find some sweets under the rhubarb bush that Binky left her and on the, in the same vein I had a small greenhouse where during the winter months I had a, a tilly lamp to heat it and we told her if she went to bed good girl that light will stay on because that's where Binky's living <laughs> and it, it, and it helps her imagination it would have you know helped her probably become a story it, writer herself you know it, she has had a go at it believe yeah. me but um it just developed from there and I started thinking about writing poems. That was the next thing I started doing. And then eventually um, other people started, through Claire mainly, as she got to about 10 or 11 years old, through Claire, um, her local school got in touch with me and asked me to go up and read a couple of stories a couple of afternoons to a, to a class. And that lasted for about three or four months, basically because I ran out of stories. And this job was advertised for housing caretaker. So I thought, give that a go. So we, we were living at my mother-in-law, so I give it a go. And it was, you lived on the job. That was rent-free accommodation at the time. 
and that's where my book came into. No, I know we'll talk about we'll talk about your book in a minute because you know I got some knowing Birmingham. It gives me some personal echoes um, there as well. So you got to a point of thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to uh, join this creative writing group. You chatted to Phil, he's a bit persuasive at times, but you still need a bit of courage to come through the door and start putting pen to paper. I suppose you do, because when, you, when we first started, and it, 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 it tickled me because he used to say to us, right, for your homework. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm 76, I'm not a kid, you know, I don't need homework. But he was, he was all to, to all of us, and it was great. And from there, you wouldn't believe the, the stories that's actually been written by members I mean, we've got one young girl, she's absolutely dyslexic. And they told her when she was at school, she'd never do any good at all. Yeah. And yet she just had a book published with the help of Phil, through Phil, by joining the writers group. I cannot praise it enough. It's brilliant for Bromford, brilliant for the first, and long may it rain. Well, you know, that's great testimony indeed. And, and let's jump to your book, um, telling your story, really, the story of life, your best friend, um, Birmingham, because I know Birmingham from the sort of the 80s, yours is just really the late 70s, but it's a similar kind of story really there. Pictures of the bullring and whatever, it, it, rang, it rang true to me. But reading it through, it's just your personal memories, but your personal memories that are so positive and colourful, if I put it that way. Yes, they are a bit colourful, aren't they? <laughs> but it's the way we were. Um... <clears throat> The, the the chap that my best friend said he was so gangly and so laid back it was unbelievable and the two of us together we just sort of gelled right from practically I won't say day one but week one we gelled he came onto the estate as a relief caretaker I was head caretaker and we just gelled from there and eventually he actually moved onto the estate and became my assistant caretaker and from that, we were in each other's pockets every day, every evening, on patrols, all through the, the power strikes, all through the lot. We had, we had tremendous fun as well as hard work. The work was always done. Every little bit, everything had to be done. But when Ted um, started, he started getting a little bit ill, we used to tell each other, we used to remind each other of what had gone on, and I used to jot them down. And from there, it's been reported, was born. And that's your book, and we'll put a link uh, in the show notes to the podcast here so that people can order it, and, and as I did, it's very easy to get hold of, and it tells a great story. And, and also, you know, you, you had then that dilemma, because you loved your job, quite clearly, from the way you tell it, the story, yes. but then you had that dilemma, am I going to keep this job, or am I going to basically have a garden for my daughter to play in? That was right, yeah. Um, we lived on the first floor of a block of flats and below the below the flats was a great big expanse of, of grass where the kids used to play and uh, my daughter one day I was sitting on the wall outside watching parents with the kids and there was a little cry from upstairs and I looked up and on the underneath the the balcony there was a gap of about five or six inches and my daughter was trying to squeeze her head through calling daddy daddy can I come and play come and come and play and that set my mind thinking, these kids are playing on grass, mine can't. Not unless mum comes down with her, right? So I thought, no, it's not right, she needs a garden to play in. So I approached my immediate superior. There was a masonette opposite, and he said he'd help me get it because the other, it, it, being, being right opposite to the block, 
Yeah. Um, wasn't any problem with uh, the situation where the caretaker lived on the estate. It was you're accessible. It was across the road. Yeah, yeah. So he tried, and that the 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 sticking point with the council was couldn't do it because the phone number would have to change, right? And that was already in the telephone books of the day. So they wouldn't let me do it. So eventually I thought, I can't do this anymore. So I parted company with the council. I regretted it within weeks, but that's the way it is. I had a house and a garden for my daughter and that was it. But the way you tell your story, it shows, you know, the the fun you had doing the job, your best friend, um, the the different scrapes you got into, you know, what gets stuck down toilets, you know, and <laughs> all those kind of things, oh, yeah. as well as yeah. as well as obviously the dilemmas you find as a, as a person. It's a it's a wonderfully written book, I have to say, John. So congratulations well, on it, and you. and you know, you've done something I've got on my big bucket list and have yet to do. So I congratulate you on that Thank one, you very most much, definitely. Rich. Thank you. Now, Phil, just thinking about some of the well, you must you must be warmed by what John says there as somebody oh, who's come uh, through the group. Yeah, because um, I mean, John was a success story right from the beginning, really, uh, and 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 I've bounced a bit off the back of that, you know, um, and I'm bragging a bit about that, uh, and I think rightly so too. Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, what we've actually done is we we only started off with six people, and. Out of six people, four have been published, right? Um, am I allowed to say who by? Um, you know, Absolutely. I mean, Amazon do... Um, one of the things that Amazon do, and I think he's brilliant, they call it uh, self-publishing. Now, now, you have to be really careful with this because this has happened to me in the past as well. When I was looking at getting my book published, that um, there'll, there'll be loads of people out there. You'll send them a copy of your, your manuscript... And they'll send you back a glowing letter about how wonderful it. You never, from from self-publishing groups, you never ever get a bad review, right? Because they got they want your money, yeah. basically. And I would just warn everybody really is that I'd be very careful. It's a, it's a brilliant marketplace, but it's 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 a minefield if you're not careful. And they'll be taken in because obviously if you had lots of rejection letters before that, you'll be so flattered by this oh, you can be yeah. easily hooked Flattery in. Flattery will get you anywhere, trust me, I know that from days gone by. But but for me, the good thing about it is that these guys have had their books published. They are now on Amazon, they're also on Amazon Kindle, and it's not cost them a penny. And that can be done if you're very careful, if you've got a good tech department, if you've got somebody who knows how to get their way around a laptop and stuff, you, you, you won't pay. We get them started, we get everybody together, we get them started, hopefully build their dream and, and go for it. That's what we're about. We're the Furs and Bromford neighbours together and the Furs and Bromford and the writing group. We're about making people's dreams try and come true can't promise everything can't make you a millionaire overnight we won't we might not make you another jk rowling but um i one of the examples is john's book is i i picked that up and it was for a long time it's the first book i've ever picked up and i didn't put it down until i finished it and the missus was going mad because i was supposed to be doing some housework <laughs> that's a danger of books isn't uh, it? Uh, yeah and, and <laughs> but that's the fun of books you you can yeah. get lost in a book yeah and you know we, we they keep talking about teaching children to write. It, it's easy, just spark their imagination. 
you know, and, and John's already mentioned that uh, one of our other group who's uh, had problems with dyslexia all her life, to be told you're not going to amount to anything, and uh, uh, you know, he's, he's awful. But we proved them wrong, you know. It may not be the best book in the world, right? My book's not the best book in the world, but it's mine. I've got it, it's there, in my hand, it's been published, and it hasn't cost It's anything. an achievement, and it builds up your confidence. Yes, and, and everything got, else is a bonus. Yeah, that's right. And and we've got a couple of ladies in the group. One lady's wrote some fantastic poems, but when it came to publish them, she decided that like they were quite personal, and, and she didn't want to go down that road. So she's going to write some other poems that can be published. We get people have the option. We don't force anybody into anything. There's no contracts to sign. All I ask is that you turn up for an hour once a week. We have a cup of coffee and a chat. It's not formal. It's all laid back. We said earlier about it being elitist, and I think um, in my head as well, there's so many barriers. And I've had a rejection letter once years ago. I've written stuff that's mainly around teaching materials and whatever, but I had a rejection letter for what I call a proper book. Yes, yeah, yeah. And and I know the way it felt, and I haven't gone back there again. But you've managed to smash through the glass ceiling, if I put it that way, in terms of giving people confidence and saying, you know, just because people have rejected you in the past, just because... Um, you come from round here, which, yeah, yeah, which again yeah. is another issue. Uh, there's no barrier there for you. Now, one yeah. of you, you're talking about publishing there. One of your hopes, I believe, is to start your own publishing company. Yes, that's what, what we're looking to do is set up our own publishing house. So basically what we can do, we can do everything for them. You know, We've already had one book signing and that was quite popular. Um, we're hoping to get an, uh, do another one for our summer event, which will be on the green outside here uh, in the summer, August the 5th, Saturday, August 5th. So come along. Let's take away all this stigma now because I'm so sick and tired of, of living on our estate where we're classed as poor people. We're not poor people. We've got everything that everybody else has got. We just haven't had the opportunities. And when, they, when you hear all these people uh, that think they know better than everybody else and saying, oh, we need to take the art to the masses. Well, bloody do it. Don't, don't do it just for a certain amount of people or for a few people. Or don't come on our estate and we'll do that for you, but it'll cost you this. If you really want to bring the art to the masses, get down here and do the performances for free. Get down here and show people what, what they can do for free. And everybody deserves a chance, don't they, don't you think, Chris? Indeed, absolutely. You know, you must have started somewhere. Absolutely, but you've given people a chance, that's the thing here, you've given people a chance and got them to think it's possible when actually a lot of times they may think it's impossible and people well, outside might think it's impossible. We've owned a channel for them. They, they have to do all the work. You know, I give them the option. If they don't, if they choose, if they just choose to come along and have a cup of coffee and have a chat and talk about books and that's all they want to do, that's fine, that's great. You'll get more out of people with a carrot than you ever will with a stick, as my old granny used to say. <laughs> That's great. And John, you obviously lost your your good friend Ted, yeah. and and so but the book remains. The book does remain, and uh, he's he's children. He's got a daughter, a son, and a daughter, and a couple, a couple of sisters, and a couple of brothers. They've all read the book. Um, even the the vicar at his burial Jenny the daughter keeps telling me that I brought her dad back to her because every time she reads it she grew up with us so she knows that everything in the book and I must stress this absolutely none of it is fiction 
it might be stretched a little bit, <laughs> but it is not That's fiction. That's what you're allowed to do. Everything yes. in the book is absolutely true and happened. And believe you me, it was the best time of my life. And I'm so grateful I had a friend like Ted. I really am. It reminded me um, of another book I very much value. Um, a guy called Mitch Album is the, uh, is the author. And he wrote a book called Tuesdays with Morrie. Uh, a while ago, and it was his conversations with his tutor who was dying. Oh, right. And the phrase that came from that book, that your book reminded me of, actually, as well, is that life ends, but friendships don't. That's correct. Life does end, but friendships go on forever. You, you'll never forget a good friend. Never. And you cannot. You can have all the riches in the world, but if you haven't got a damn good friend, no good to you. You need a friend to share your happiness with. John. Phil, thank you both very much indeed. All we need to do now is me to get my book out and you can sign it for me. Thank you, no problem at all. <laughs> what about my book? <laughs> That's John Brooks, Wiggit, and yes, he signed his book for me. Uh, his book is It's Been Reported. Subtitled Work Can Be a Belly Laugh. Also, Phil Houtkins in the background there. Actually, he didn't produce his signed book for me, but anyway, I've got one signed book and that was really nice. What were your thoughts on that, Beth? I thought lovely to hear about the personal relationship and how that has been turned into a book that's been published and the confidence boost that that's given John um, and all of the other people who've been involved in the project. And I think it's just a lovely example of where community groups, when they've got the time and the resources to look into how they get around some of the blockers for certain arts projects for example they can really help communities to break through those glass ceilings and see that their voices are really powerful as well so yeah I was really moved by that. Now in the book itself it reminded me because I was in Birmingham a few years after he wrote it but or that he's talking about um, but I know those high-rise buildings and I know the smells in the lifts and I remember those and he said the family of his, of his great friend Ted as well you know it, it had brought him back alive for them so again there's a personal aspect which was really really important um right where can we find out more so we'll publish um all of the information that you need to know about furs and bromford big local and where you can order both phil and john's books in the show notes that's fair let's be fair to both of them shall we (laughs) (laughs) thanks beth and yeah we look forward to you joining us next time on the community power podcast brought to you by local trust discovering what happens when you give local people the money the power and the assets to make a difference to their neighborhoods